words matter. And um, we've been talking about uh, words that we get out of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. And uh, so far we've talked about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And this morning we're going to talk about goodness, uh, the idea of goodness and uh, we want to talk about what that means because goodness is one of those words that, that can get uh, confusing and it, and it gets used in, in uh, different contexts. For example, um, you, you, know, you, you may say he's really, somebody's really good at uh, something. They're really good at that. Uh, they're really good at talking themselves out of trouble. That might be something that they're good at. Um, you know, we all want our kids to be good, but then sometimes we get confused. Do we want our kids to be good to be good, or do we want our kids to be good because it makes us look good? And how, how does the whole good thing work, you know, in our lives? Um, and, and so uh, often good gets kind of used in a lot of different ways, and, and we forget what it really means. And so this morning, we want to take a few minutes and look at what the Bible teaches us about what it means to be good, and in particular, what goodness is, because Galatians 5 tells us that when our lives belong to Jesus, when Christ lives in us, he grows in us, he transforms us from the inside out, and, and one of the pictures that, that we're given of that is that it's like fruit growing out of our lives, uh, and, and so what does that fruit look like? What, what does it look like to have a life that's transformed uh, by Christ living in us? And so it it looks like love, and it looks like uh, gentleness, and it looks like kindness and joy and patience. And this morning, we're going to look at what it means to have goodness coming out of our lives, growing out uh, of our lives. So let's let's look at goodness this morning. We're going to look at it out of Micah, the sixth chapter. But um, before we do, I want to remind us this this whole idea of goodness in the New Testament uh, is an action word. So it's not enough just to say, um, to talk about having being good, because so often w- what happens is that it becomes about us. Uh, it, I want to be better. I want to look good. I want to look more spiritual. I want to look you know, better, whatever it is that we're thinking about. And, and it really becomes about us. But goodness isn't uh, a picture of me. Goodness is an action word. Goodness is how I live my life. It's the result of having Christ in me, and it drives me to do something. So I can't just talk about goodness and say that's how I look, but what I need when we talk about goodness, we're talking about how we live, how we live our lives, what difference does Christ make in our lives? And Micah six is a really famous passage in the Old Testament, and I want to start by reading uh, verses six and seven. It says this: With what shall um, with what shall I come before the Lord? and bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And so we have this picture of someone who's wondering, what do I do to be right with God? What do I do in my life to to be right with God? And it's interesting that that if you consider the ancient times, and Micah, uh, by the way, was a peer of Isaiah, and, and he was a prophet uh, between the, roughly between the years of 730 B.C. and 700 B.C., so it was a long time ago. But every religion of that day knew that there was a gap between people and God. 
Every religion understood that there was something missing, that, that they were separated from God. And so every religion in the ancient times built temples, they built shrines, they built altars, they did everything they could to try to figure out a way to try to offer sacrifices, to try to do something to, to bridge that gap between them and God. So this wasn't something that was unique to the Hebrews, but everybody understood that there was this gap. Everybody understood that there was a separation, and, and every religion was trying their, in their own way to bridge that gap. And so we know that in ancient Israel that they would offer sacrifices. And so the very first thing that the prophet is saying is, okay, what do I do? What do I do to bridge that gap? What do I do to be in a right relationship with, the, with God? And, and he says, should I, should I offer a burnt sacrifice? And he says, not only that, but should I offer a burnt sacrifice of a calf that is a year old? Now, that's sort of interesting, but you could, you could sacrifice a calf uh, according to their law anytime after seven days old. That it, was, it was okay to, to sacrifice a calf, but the ideal time was at a year old. You'd made that investment. The calf was just starting to get to maturity. It was the prime time in its life, and so that was the ideal time uh, that you're offering the sacrifice. So what Micah is saying is, should I offer the perfect sacrifice? Should I offer the most expensive sacrifice to try to bridge that gap? Is that what God wants for me uh, to be? And if I look at that in the context of my life, it says, what can I do to make my life better? What can I do uh, to be better with God? What, what kinds of sacrifices, what kinds of things can I do? And it's about me, and this is what Mike is trying to get at. It's not about us. It's not about what we do, but it's about what God has already done. And so he said, how about if I burn sacrifices? And then it gets a little bit more absurd as he goes. He says, all right, if that doesn't work, let's try this. Let, let's, let's try, how about would he be pleased with thousands of rams? If we brought thousands of rams and sacrificed all of them, could we bridge the gap with God that way? Okay, if that's not enough, what if we bring tens of thousands of rivers of oil? And so he just keeps upping the ante and adding more to the point where it would be impossible for anybody to do that, for anybody to offer that great a sacrifice. And that's the whole point, Micah says. You can't do it, that God needs to do something, that God offers that. But, but he's not through yet. He said, how about this? How about if I give you my firstborn? I'm gonna, sorry for all the male firstborns in the audience today, but he's offering, how about my firstborn? What, what if we offered him as a sacrifice? And you know, Micah, as a prophet, always had one eye on the past and, and one eye on the future. And so what he's saying is he's remembering that one time um, God had promised Abraham that he would have a son and, and, and Abraham had a son, Isaac, and then God said, I want you to take Isaac to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him back to me. But if you remember the story, God provided the, the lamb for the sacrifice and, and God interceded with Abraham. And Mike is creating this picture that it's not enough to offer your firstborn, but God will intercede, that God is going to act, that we need to trust him uh, to bridge that gap in our lives. So now, uh, now Micah is looking to the future and he's saying, and God is gonna send the one. He's going to send Jesus the Christ and he will be the perfect sacrifice and he will bridge that gap for us. So Micah as a prophet is looking back and he's looking forward and he's saying that there's nothing that we can do to bridge the gap between man and God. So what does God require of us? What does God want us to do? How do we get involved then in, in making this right with God? And, and he gives us verse eight in Micah six. And again, it's one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. But verse eight simply says this, 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's what he requires of us. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, there's a parallel to this verse in the New Testament. And, and it comes out of, uh, well, it's all in all the Gospels, but Mark 12 uh, says uh, that a religious leader came to Jesus one day and he said, you know, what, what's the greatest commandment? What's the number one thing that I need to remember? And he said that here's, and Jesus said, here's the great commandment. And there's a second one that's like it. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. All the other laws summed up in that command. And so, um, so he, we have this picture, and in, 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 in Micah 6, verse 8, the very first two things, to, to uh, do justice and to love kindness, really fit with this whole idea of loving our neighbor. That Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and, and again, okay, I have the gift of repetition. I talk about this all the time. But later on, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. Remember, he raised the bar. He said, a new commandment I give you. Let me tell you how I want you to love each other. He said, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. How about that? Let's try that. Let's see how we can do with that one. Love one another as I've loved you. And so we have this picture that he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to take this verse eight out of context and think that you can go out of here today and, and to, to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. What I want you to understand today is in the context, here's what we've been called to do. We've been called first and foremost to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we are called to love one another as Christ has loved us. That's the picture he wants us to have. So if we look though, uh, we get a lot of instruction on in how to do that if we, if we look at Micah 6, 8. He says, he has told you, O oh man, and, and now here's what he's saying. God has told you, and uh, man is sort of the mankind, the, it's Adam in the Hebrew, we get the word Adam, it's referring to all of mankind, and, and what he is saying is that he's God and we're not. It's a really important clarification. God is saying to us as mankind, as man, as men and women, what is good? He's gonna give us the definition of good. When goodness grows out of your life, here's what it looks like. When Christ changes you, when he transforms you, what comes out of your life are these three things. He says, I want first to do justice. Do justice. Now, justice is another tough word for us. Some of us, as soon as I say that, um, you love justice. Your temperament is justice, and so when you see a wrong, especially when somebody does something wrong to you, that you demand justice. You're all about justice, right? And justice means that they need to understand that they're wrong and that they need to pay for it. And so we have personalities sometimes that really go after justice, that, that we want people to pay for what they've done, uh, that we sort of demand that people pay for what they've done, and, and we don't always get our way, and that makes us frustrated and angry, but, but a lot of us have that temperament that's sort of justice-driven. I hate to break it to you, but that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, others of us, when we hear the word justice, we get a little irritable. <sighs> Okay, that's what they're gonna, now they're gonna want me to go out and shovel rocks with people and they're gonna want me to go do more stuff and I'm exhausted already and I'm busy and I don't wanna, and you're talking about justice and that means I've gotta go work someplace or do something I don't wanna do or, or whatever. And kind of we have this idea of, of what justice, and I, I, don't, I don't know how to tell you, but that's not what he's talking about either. 
That's not what he means. Here's what he means by justice. Justice, it's an old Hebrew word, mishpat, and it, and it simply means this, that we care for widows and orphans and the vulnerable. We care for those who can't care for themselves. The, the, uh, in older translations of the Bible, they used to say love kind, uh, love mercy. Uh, love mercy, mercy always means helping the helpless. It always carries that picture of helping the helpless. So when we do justice, and I want you to think about this, right? He doesn't say, I want you to consider justice. <laughs> he doesn't say, I want you to pray about justice. You know, I mean, he doesn't give you any option. He says, when Christ lives in your life, when he has transformed you and goodness is growing in your life, let me tell you what it's gonna look like. You are going to do justice. You are going to care for the vulnerable. You're gonna care for the weak. You're gonna care for the widows and orphans. You're gonna care for those people. That's what you get to do. And it's because, not because we're so great, it's not because we're so good, it's at a response because God has been good for us because we were separated from God and God didn't consider justice uh, making us pay for our sins, but in God's justice, he sent Jesus to die on a cross so that we might have life, so that we might have forgiven, have forgiveness. And now he says, now I want you to go and do that. I want you to respond that way. It's not about making people pay. It's about letting God do his work. What is God going to do in the world? How does God bring justice? And he always brought justice through sacrifice, through love, through caring for other people. And, and see, we just get opportunities to do that. Now I'm gonna show you another little video, it's real quick, but this is cool. This is a little bit of a video of one of our, of our North, uh, a week ago last Saturday we did our North Cares project and about 50 of us went out and we got to fix up four houses and, and we've told you the story I think about that, that there was a, um, that I had some friends and we met with a lady from the city and, and she was telling us about this problem in Scottsdale that, um, that people wouldn't keep up their front yards or the paint on their houses or whatever it was. And, and she was telling us that, uh, that most of the time it was elderly people. Sometimes it was folks with children with disabilities or whatever, and they just got overwhelmed and behind and, and they couldn't take care of their houses. And she said that she would go and warn them. A and then she said it was her job that if they didn't fix it, that she would go stick this deal in their door and fine them for not keeping their houses up. And so you can imagine you're an elderly person in South Scottsdale on a fixed income and you get to decide this month, uh, you know, do I not buy medicine? Do I not buy food uh, so I can get my yard uh, fixed up? Or what do I do? And, and she's telling us this and she just, she's this young lady and she burst into tears. She started crying. She said, I'm the one that finds them. And so we, we just said to her, look, how about this? Don't find if it's elderly people and people just don't find them anymore. Just bring us their addresses. Let us fix it for you. And so we've got some friends at Harper's Nurseries and we've got a couple of the church that joined, churches that joined us and the city now gives us those names and, and addresses and we get to go work on their houses for them to do justice, to care for the widows and orphans. And, and so one of our kids, um, Daniel McPherson, who's 10 years old, uh, wasn't feeling well that day, so he videoed uh, the project that we were on and I wanted you to watch it real quick.
<laughs> that was our little job that Saturday, and it was uh, so great. And so we're there, and uh, this little lady came out to thank us, and she said to us, uh, you know, bless you. And she said, my husband has been in heaven for a month now, and I know he's looking down blessing you too. And we, we thought, gosh, we just got to do that. That's doing justice. That's not praying about justice, talking about justice. That's doing justice. That's loving people the way Jesus would. It's caring for them. It's going with a cup of water in the name of Jesus and asking what can we do. And uh, I thought Daniel Furten, he did a spectacular job on that video. I wanted to share it with you. Um, but we get to do justice. It's a privilege, isn't it? Because, because I don't deserve the justice that Christ gave me, but out of a response to his love in my life, out of a response that what he's done, I get to serve, uh, go in the name of Jesus. Well, the second thing that Micah challenges us with is to love kindness, to love kindness. And um, again, uh, some, uh, this whole idea of loving kindness, it, the Hebrew word is hesed, and it's a really important Hebrew word because when in the Old Testament, usually this is reserved for talking about God, and it refers to God's steadfast love. God's steadfast love, and you know what that looks like? That looks like God saying, you know what? I love you so much, I'm not gonna let go of you. I love you so much that I'm gonna hold on to you. That, that I'm gonna love you in spite of yourself. And so we know that, but that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross because God has steadfast love. He doesn't give up on us. He keeps calling us. And now he says, now I want you to go and I want you to do justice and I want you to love kindness. I want you to love mercy. I want you to do this in my name because of what I've done for you. I want you to show that kind of kindness to the world, to people who need that kind of kindness to people who need that kind of love. I read a great story this week about uh, a guy that showed this in a remarkable way. Uh, his, his name um, was Julio Diaz. Julio Diaz is a 31-year-old social worker from the Bronx. And I'm gonna read you this little story. It says every night, he's a, a regular evening routine. He ends his hour-long commute back from the city. He's a social worker from his apartment um, one stop early so he can get off and go to a diner. So this is his routine. Every night he stops and uh, one stop short of where uh, his apartment is so he can go to this particular diner and this diner's become his home dinner spot. One night Diaz stepped off the number six train onto a nearly empty platform and his evening took an unexpected turn. As he walked toward the stairs, a teenage boy approached him and pulled out a knife. Julio gives the boy his wallet and says, here you go, and the boy leaves. Julio calls out, hey, wait a minute. You forgot something. If you're going to be robbing people for the rest of the night, you might as well take my coat to keep you warm. Uh, he continues, all I wanted to do was to go get dinner. And if you really want to join me, hey, you're more than welcome to come with me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, says the stunned boy accepts Julio's offer. So they go to the diner that Julio frequents and once seated, the manager, the servers, the other staff come by and say hi to Julio and the boy is again surprised and he says, man, you know, everybody here, uh, you're even nice to the dishwasher. I didn't think people actually behave that way. And so Julio asked the boy, what is it that you want out of life? And the boy sat there and didn't know what to say. When the bill comes, <laughs> Julio says, look, I guess you're gonna have to pay for this bill because you've got my money. So if you give me back my wallet, I'll gladly treat you. 
The boy hands the wallet back and Julio takes a 20 out and he gives it to the boy, asking the boy for his knife in return, to which the boy complies uh, in Julio's words. Uh, the boy gives him his knife. In Julio's words, he said, I figure um, if you treat people right, you can only hope that they treat you right. It's as simple as it gets in this complicated world to, do, to, to love kindness. Uh, to care for those who are in need, to, to take that extra step to do something for someone in the name of Jesus that they, they couldn't do on their own or wouldn't know, or maybe they haven't experienced that kind of kindness before, but to love them in the name of Jesus. So he says that we're to do justice, that we're to love kindness. It, it isn't that we accept the idea that we're supposed to be kind, but we love kindness because of the kindness that Christ has shown us through his love. And then the last thing that he says is to walk humbly with your God. This is really important. To walk humbly with your God. He, he uses the word walk. And, and it, that means two things for us this morning. The, the first is that it, it means that we're in relationship. He says, I want you to walk humbly with your God. He doesn't say, I want you to humbly, walk humbly for your God um, and, and do great things for him. He says, I want you to first and foremost, you walk with him. You walk in relationship with him. And then the second part is that walking always has a, a destination, always has a direction. And so here's what we know about our direction. When we walk humbly with the Lord, it simply means this, that we are going wherever he goes that I don't always understand the, def the destination, but I always know who I'm walking with. And sometimes the Lord takes me places that make me fearful. Sometimes the Lord takes me places that makes me feel a little insecure, or makes me feel a little bit inadequate or whatever it is, but I know who I'm walking with. And it's not about me always being prepared. It's not about me always being ready to take on whatever I find. It's always about walking humbly with my God, with your God. And here's the message for us. He says it's all built around a relationship. That we get the privilege of saying, this is my God. God said, you are my people. He loves us that much. We get the privilege of walking with him. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus used the same idea. Remember the time that he was with Levi. There was a tax collector and Jesus is walking through and there's Levi, a tax collector, with all of his money and all the papers and everything right there on this table sitting out there. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, follow me. And Matthew left every, or Levi, later Matthew, left everything to follow Jesus that day. And one day, Peter and James and John and Andrew were out in their boats and they were fishing and they hadn't caught any anything and Jesus said hey why don't you throw your nets on the other side and see what happens and they did and they they caught more fish than they could even carry they had to get everybody's boats together to get help so he could bring all the fish in and then as soon as they got the fish in Jesus looked at him and he said now follow me leave all of that and and follow me and they followed Jesus that day it's always been about following Jesus it's always been out of that relationship that we choose to follow him we follow him because he loves us, because of what he's done for us, because he transforms us from the inside out. And so he says, now I want you to follow me, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. It means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
It means to commit yourself to following him, to be all in. You see, the hard part about following is that, is, is that I know I want to follow him, but there's a little part of me that wants to sort of keep the, keep the net under me, right? Um, keep a little safety valve, keep something uh, for myself. So just in case this doesn't work or, or just in case I have a better idea about my life than God does at some point, uh, you know, I need, I need some options, Lord. I, I, can't, I don't wanna be all in. What does that mean? But he says this, that if you want your life to be transformed, if you wanna grow that fruit in your life, you want your life to look like that, you gotta be all in. You gotta be 100% committed. You gotta love me with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength. That's what it looks like. And so the call this morning for us, it begins with that idea. Who are you following this morning? Who are you following this morning? Are you following yourself, your own ideas, your own thoughts, your own goals, your own things, or are you following Jesus this morning? Because if you want your life to be transformed, if you want your life to have meaning, if you want to do justice and love kindness, then it begins with walking humbly with your God. It means to be in a right relationship with him, to allow him to grow in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word and thank you, Lord, for this idea of goodness that it's your idea, Lord, not our idea. And so we thank you for that. And Lord, we ask that you would change us. Lord, we ask that you would, that you would confirm these ideas in our hearts and our minds. So Lord, uh, we just simply ask that where we need to be encouraged, that you would encourage us, and where we need to be convicted, that you would convict us, Lord, and that we would set our hearts to follow you. Because Lord, you're the only one worthy. You're the only one who deserves our life. And we give you thanks, and we give you praise in Jesus' name.